Kevin Pierce was about five years old when someone in his family told him about the Great Chicago Fire. It was just kind of a scary story for that little of a kid to hear just a story about a fire that completely leveled most of the city. I kind of had difficulty getting to sleep that night. And that was when Kevin learned this song. One dark night when we were all in bed, Mrs. O'Leary left a lantern in the shed, and when the cow kicked it over, she winked her eye and said there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. And and so at that point, I just thought that's the great Chicago Fire song. Kevin kept thinking that while he was growing up in Wilmette. This was just a little song about Mrs. O'Leary's cow, right? But then, years later, he heard the University of Kansas marching band playing the same tune at a football game. I figured out, okay, that makes no sense for University of Kansas to play a song about the Great Chicago Fire. Kevin looked up the song on Wikipedia and learned it was a hit way back in the 1890s. And the original words had nothing to do with Mrs. O'Leary. So Kevin asked Curiosity how that song turned into a ditty about the fire. I'm reporter Robert Lorzell, and I've been investigating Kevin's question. I've learned a lot about how songs get passed down through the generations by word of mouth. It's hard to pinpoint their origins, but in this case, I did discover some clues about a mystery woman who may be the author. And we'll get to her, but first... In 1896, a hit song was sweeping the country, a hot time in the old town. Three different white musicians claimed they'd written this ragtime song with stereotypical African-American dialect. Others said the tune was actually created by black musicians in Chicago brothels, or maybe in Louisville saloons. The original song describes people gathering for a religious revival. And then, a man kisses a woman who's dressed all in red. It's pretty obvious what sort of hot time she's talking about. And it isn't buildings burning down. Hot time was one of the 1890s biggest hits. Marching bands started playing it. It was an unofficial anthem for U.S. soldiers in the Spanish-American War. And lots of people spoofed the song, making up their own words for that melody. One of those parodies was the song that Kevin asked us about, with words about the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. That version repeats a popular story blaming Mrs. O'Leary's cow for starting the fire. Today, we know that wasn't true. But the song had staying power. Richard Bales wrote a book exonerating Mrs. O'Leary, and he remembers hearing the song in the 1950s, growing up in Aurora. The song is iconic. Everyone's heard about it. Everyone sang it when they were growing up. It was always there. It was in the the air. (laughs) Curious City posted a question on Twitter asking when and where people learned the song. We got dozens of replies. People said they first heard it at summer camps or in school, and not just in the Chicago area. Everywhere from South Dakota to Texas to Connecticut. Fred Nachman learned it at a camp in Wisconsin in 1959. Then you would yell, fire, fire, fire at the end. 
This was probably the, the most, I guess you call it, the fun song of all of them. And the song wasn't exactly the same everywhere. In some places, Mrs. O'Leary became Old Lady Leary. In New Jersey, some kids sang a version where Mrs. O'Leary morphed into Old Lazy Larry. Playwright Michael Maher learned it in the 1970s at a camp in Michigan, where the refrain was followed by something called a backwards version. One night dark, when bed we all were in, Miss Lirio left the shed in the lantern, and when the kick cowed it over, she eyed her wink and said there'll be an old time in the hot town tonight. Arif, Arif, Arif! Arif, of course, is fire spelled backwards. Ann Ford remembers singing the song in the 1980s at a Girl Scout camp in Colorado. I remember that I asked my mom why the narrator of the song winked, because that didn't seem like an appropriate response to a city burning down. And for the past 20 years, soccer fans have chanted it at Chicago Fire Games. Marty Tomzak is a song leader. While you might not know all of the rest of the lyrics right away, shouting fire, fire, fire is pretty easy and something everybody can get into. But as popular as this O'Leary song has become, it's always just been passed down orally. That's typical, says Eve Harwood at the University of Illinois. She researches playground chants. None of the children's repertoire is sheet music. It's learned in oral tradition. It's passed from child to child. It's passed from older children to younger children. Harwood says this is how the songs evolve. They morph over time as more people add words or change things. But still, who wrote it? It is the $64,000 question. You think somewhere somebody has to be the first one that made up that particular set of words or who invented that particular tune. Well, it seemed to be lost in the annals of time. But deep in the newspaper archives, in a little paper in Montana, I found a long-forgotten lead. In 1898, the Independent Record in Helena reported the story of a traveling vaudeville performer. She called herself Flossie Nash. According to the newspaper, it's Flossie Nash who wrote the original Mrs. O'Leary parody. When she sang it, she had an opening verse, lyrics no one sings anymore, revealing the cow's true motive. You see, that cow was tired of life in Chicago. She wanted to head to the country, and she didn't care if the whole city burned behind her. I brought this story back to our question asker, Kevin Pierce. The cow just wanted out of the city and so intentionally set the fire to so that it could escape. <laughs> That's good. I explained how that song attributed to Flossie Nash changed over 120 years, morphing into the various versions people sing today. It's like a game of telephone has been played. We'll go out on a performance of Hot Time from teacher Jane Hanna at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Many of the students in the room knew the lyrics about the Great Chicago Fire. And for that, we can thank the mystery woman Flossie Nash, whoever she was, and generations of people who have kept her words alive. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Catherine Nagasawa is our digital producer. Jesse Dukes is our audio producer. Jessica Popovec edited this story. I'm Robert Lorizel.
next time on Curious City. Think about the sorts of things you spill on your winter coat. Coffee, tea, milk. You sweat in it. You might get salt from the roads on it. You may brush up against other people's coats. So how often should you wash your coat? Every month. Maybe once a year. I don't think I've ever washed my winter coat. (laughs) Huh. So should you wash it? That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Hey there, it's Curious City reporter Monica Eng. I recently reported a story about what Chicago's culinary scene was like at the turn of the 20th century, from saloons to chop suey houses. But it wouldn't be a good food story without some actual dining and drinking involved. That's why I want to invite you to join me on Tuesday, March 3rd, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the historic Burghoff Bar downtown. I'll be leading a Q&A with a Burghoff historian about the history of one of Chicago's oldest saloons and how it fit into Chicago's food and drink scene in the early 1900s. You can also try their famous corned beef sandwiches and beer, but guests are responsible for their own tabs. Again, that's Tuesday, March 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Burghoff Bar. No tickets necessary. Just bring your questions and your taste buds. See you there. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.